We believe emotional well-being is intricately tied to spiritual connection. We know that there is hope for those of us who have experienced trauma, even profound trauma, and that's why we created the Universe Is Your Therapist podcast. We envision a world of healing and connection and teach you simple but powerful practices to help you come home to your highest self, to your truest identity. We believe you are a divine soul who's deeply loved and that the entire universe conspires for your good. You're valued beyond comprehension, and we want to help you realize that. You are not broken, you are loved, and you can heal. Hi, my name is Dr. Amy Hoyt, and together with my sister, Lena, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we will lead you on a journey of self-discovery and self-love. Hi, welcome to the podcast today. This is Lena. And I'm Amy. And today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is inner resources. A lot of times people talk about willpower, and while I understand that that's a popular notion, I don't know that it really takes into consideration the way the brain and the body work. So the concept that I believe is more accurate is the concept of inner resources. And what that is, is it's similar to what people who have autoimmune disorders work with when they work with what's called the spoon theory. Spoon theory states that you wake up each day with a certain number of spoons of energy, and those spoons of energy get expended on each activity. And you may think that taking a shower will take one spoon. Let's say you wake up with six spoons, and instead it takes three spoons. And so the rest of the day, the other things that you had planned have to be adjusted because you don't have the inner resources or the energy to do the additional things based on how much energy it took to take your shower. When people talk about willpower, and particularly in the arena of eating, there's been a lot of research shown that at night it becomes more and more difficult to focus on your eating goals. There's a reason for that. In the evenings, we have less resources internally because we've spent them all day long getting through the day, getting through work, eating healthily through dinner time, managing all sorts of different things in our schedule. And when evening occurs or comes, we are tired. We have less energy to make hard choices. And we then tend to make decisions that are not in our best interest for our long-term goals. Okay, so spoon theory, how many spoons do you typically start out with a day? It depends on who you are and how your energy is usually balanced. After my stroke, when I started taking the medication that was designed to prevent another stroke, it started attacking my muscles. And so I had about three spoons a day for months. And those spoons were spent doing my sessions. And I did not have any extra energy to do anything like cook. Uh, I had to sit down at the table to chop vegetables. I didn't have energy to go to the grocery store. I didn't run errands. I usually could do about three things a day. And those three things were my sessions. Wow. Okay. That is really interesting. So it really depends on probably how many spoons you used the day before. Yep. That's For part me, of it. I feel like if I've had a very, very hectic day, one day, the next day, I actually feel a little depleted at times. And it also can depend on where you are health-wise, emotional-wise. When I'm working through some of my trauma very intently, I have so little spoons left because all of my energy is going to the inner work 
And I can only do it for a few weeks at a time before I have to back off a little bit and then go back into it. That reminds me of something we were speaking about earlier, which is the body balance or body energy balance. Tell us about that. The concept is that as we go throughout our day, our body's energy gets depleted. When our energy gets depleted throughout the day, it's important for us to discover ways to fill our energy back up. There's a lot of new science around this, and there are several ways to do that. One is by paying attention to moments of joy. So purposely being on the lookout throughout the day for something that brings you happiness or joy or connects you with your physical world or your loved ones. The other concept is meditation or gratitude, as we've spoken before. Exercise can do that as well. There are a lot of different things that we can do that can help us restock our inner energy. However, our world is so busy and hectic right now that if we're not purposeful and intentional, it's very difficult to do. And for those listeners who are high achievers, what we tend to do is we tend to overfunction. And then once in a while, we will underfunction or crash. And optimally, what we want to be able to do is to be in tune enough to our body and our energy level that we can have a more consistent manner of engaging with the world. Perfection is something that many of us have been chasing in a desire to be enough, worthy enough, lovable enough, that sort of thing. And perfection will never be consistently ours because we are dealing with the human body and the human condition. And depending on how much sleep you got the night before, whether or not you're stressed about your children, whether you have a big exam coming up, a big work project, whether you're at odds with a family member, all of those things deplete our energy and leave us with less willpower, so to speak. I think the exception I take with willpower is that it sounds almost as if it's within our control. And I think that's toxic. One of the things as you're speaking, I noticed is that for years I was so disconnected from my body. I had no concept of a finite limit of energy or spoons. And I would override those physical sensations that were telling me I had had enough to the point where I was in labor for several days with my first, my water broke in public And then afterwards, I realized that it was labor I had been feeling for days, but I was so disconnected from my body, which is something that happens in trauma. We disconnect in order to survive. We have that mind-body split. We start to dissociate and we are not able to be as in tune with our physical body. And that makes inner resourcing, knowing where we're at, very difficult. And so I'm wondering, what are some tips or tricks that people can do who are just starting this journey? They don't know how they feel. And that's how I people would say, how do you feel? And I'd say, great. <laughs> and I didn't even know what that meant to feel into my body. And so what do you recommend for clients as they're just starting out in their healing journey so that they can become more aware of their body? We have to be able to observe what's happening for our energy level without judging it. When yesterday I could do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and today I can only do A, B, C, D, I know that this is very counterintuitive for people and many people will be very dysregulated by this. But I believe that the things that we know we need to do 
and that we don't do is because we don't have the capacity at that moment. And this is really alarming for a lot of people because they see that as an excuse for mediocrity. You're making an argument that when we have resistance to something we know we need to do, such as paying bills, something that is actually critical to a good credit score, buying a house, living in a modern society. And when you're saying when we don't do that, when we give into the resistance, it's because we don't have the energy. Right. And there are ways to work around that. But if you beat yourself up because yesterday you could sit down and pay the bills, that doesn't take into account that today is a different day and you have a different reserve of energy. And when we are avoiding or resisting an activity, we need to start being able to use the strength of connection to help us get those things done. What does that look like? What it looks like for me is sometimes I will have something to do that I have been dreading and I don't have the energy for. And I ask either a friend or a family member to come sit next to me while I do the task. Because if somebody is sitting next to me, I will be able to have the container or the support that I need to do the dreaded task. That's super interesting. So my process is a little different. I don't typically feel like I need someone next to me. I need to verbalize why I'm so resistant and what my real thoughts are. So if I'm not wanting to pay my bills, it's helpful for me to talk through it with someone I feel safe with to say, you know, I'm having some scarcity mindset right now, even though I have a job, for some reason I have this big bill and I feel worried about paying it or I don't have the money to pay it all at one chunk. And so I'm distressed and I'm going to avoid it. So sometimes for me, talking through it is the most helpful. Both of those interventions, though, engage the concept of connection with others. There was another question that popped into my head as you were speaking. How do you know that your energy is dwindling? For me, having so much disconnection from my body for most of my life, I'm wondering if how we can help listeners understand how to even know what their body is feeling when they're on a go, 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 go path, which is avoidance for me. I'm avoiding dealing with trauma, dealing with feelings by outworking and outachieving my lack of self-worth in the moment. I think it's really hard, particularly as women, to know when we've reached capacity because we tend to just do, 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 do until everything's done, except for the unfortunate thing is nothing is ever totally done. And please do not do what happened to me, which is I had a stroke. So I had to actually relearn how to gauge my energy levels. We have to be able to be still and sit for a a minute and check in with ourselves throughout the day and pay attention to what body sensations we're having, what thoughts are running through our mind and what our emotions are. And instead of denying those, what we want to be able to do is acknowledge them and then move forward in a way that allows for those to be present. So if I'm particularly distressed or upset during the day, my goal isn't that I pretend like I'm not distressed. My goal is to reevaluate and reconsider what are the most important things and then to get the support I need to get those things done. So when you say to sit and check in, what does that look like? For me right now, I can tell 
that my body is doing something a little different. I've got my toes really crunched into my shoes. And I realize that I'm thinking about a time crunch, which is pretty ironic with my crunchy toes. And so being able to tune into exactly what's happening in our body without judgment, and I can't emphasize this enough, it is only when we're outside of judgment that we can learn. So if I can say to myself, wow, I'm crunching my toes in my shoes, I wonder what that's about. That allows me to be curious about the contributors. And if I can stay out of judgment, I give myself the opportunity to access information that's not cognitive, that's not coming from my mind. It's coming from your body. Okay. So for me, I feel it a lot in my the pit of my stomach and in my chest. I've heard a lot of people anecdotally tell me they get headaches frequent headaches, frequent migraines, a lot of neck and shoulder pressure. And I used to suffer from those as well. The anatomy of the spirit that we've been reading by Carolyn Miss is so interesting because it links some of those body sensations, not only to pain, but to disease and spiritual blocks, which I think is fascinating. But you don't have to be a believer that pain is spiritual blocks necessarily to still check in with your body and to ask yourself where you're feeling the tightness. I know my jaw often can be holding tension. And so just sitting still for even 30 seconds and thinking, where, where am I feeling? How am I feeling? How am I doing? Another signal for me is I start to feel real crabby. I notice that I feel very on edge with my children. I usually get that sign before I even recognize that my body is wound up. And then I start to think, why am I feeling this way? And it's usually a thought that I have to get something done or I'm late on getting something done or what if it's usually I'm in the past or I'm in the future. It is very rarely that I'm just staying fully present with them, listening to their questions and trying to answer them. So for me, some of those signals tend to be physical and they tend to also be emotional, which always lead back to a physical sign. One thing that was really interesting is when I was living with you and Kevin and the kids for a year and a half is that you noticed I would sigh frequently. And it was so subconscious for me that I had no idea that that's what was happening. And so you would say, are you okay? And I'd say, yeah, why? Because you're sighing a lot. I had no idea that that's what was happening. Oftentimes, other people will notice things in us that can give us clues. And if we can settle ourselves, again, without judgment, and just pay attention to what's happening, we can use that information to attune ourselves with our physical and emotional needs. And if we don't have a way of paying attention to those things, then we end up in situations where our body makes us listen. Sickness, stroke, migraine. And not that all of those events are always about being disconnected from our body and stress, but they can be indicators. What do you think helps to reset ourselves so that we have more energy or we have additional spoons? What are your top tips so that each day we are resourced up as best as we can to live in the modern world? It's pretty tricky for most of us. Anything that can help us to slow down our process, our speeding thoughts, our quest for excellence and perfection. And let me offer a caveat here. I'm not saying that we should not strive for excellence. What I'm saying is that when we prioritize to the expense of our body and our spirit and our emotions, we end up paying a very high price. And 
frequently what I see in my profession is that it shows up initially in relationship. So relationships start getting more contentious, more dissatisfying. We engage from a more impatient, judgmental, or critical standpoint. And in a previous podcast, we talked about cycles, and this can also happen in a negative cycle, so that as I'm ignoring my body or my emotional or psychological or spiritual needs, my engagement with others becomes hampered, which then brings distress which then saps my energy, which I then ignore. And then it it continues in a cycle like that. And part of being human is engaging in cycles. And the beauty is that we can disrupt the cycles. For me, the process is almost always contained within my thinking. And if I slow myself down enough to notice that I'm sighing or that I'm rubbing my fingers rapidly, I can tune into my thoughts and recognize that I'm not in the present and that there's a pressure internally about what I think I need to be doing or should be doing or should have done that is creating more difficulty for me in the present and is truly not enabling me to perform better. One of the things that I have found that's crucial to my ability to resource up for the day is sleep, adequate sleep. I think adequate sleep has been essential and hydration, adequate hydration. And those seem so simple. I think they are. It doesn't mean that we're always taking care of ourselves to the best of our abilities. But if I am hydrated and have had good sleep, I typically have the ability to resource. I don't have as many headaches. I don't have as much tension because my body feels rested. Sleep is so hard. When I first came back here to visit you, I was talking to one of our cousins and she said something to me about, oh, you probably are going to stay up late working on this project. She said, you all are night owls. And I said, yes, it's really hard. And she said, oh my gosh, it is so hard for you people to get up in the morning. And what I used to do was beat myself up because of my sleep schedule. Well, the judgment doesn't do anything. In fact, research shows that the more I judge myself, the less I'm able to change in a positive direction. And so particularly during COVID, I have changed my schedule so that I am honoring what my body is capable of doing right now with my sleep schedule. And while it's not something that I aspire to long term, being able to take my physical needs and my my schedule, my body clock into consideration has allowed me to have more inner resources as I start my day. What else could help people to resource up besides working on their sleep and perhaps a micro step for sleep patterns? For me, for instance, I try and go to bed a half hour earlier than I did the night before when I've gotten in a really bad habit of, and there's the judgment, but I, for me with kids, staying up till three in the morning is a choice and it's a bad habit. Um, I did read recently an interesting theory that when you have attachment disorder trauma, which we definitely have, and we have different attachment disorder traumas, that that sense of not being cared for and loved and nurtured often leads to people who stay up late. And for some reason, they find their nurturing through other activities like watching movies or reading or and it's a self-soothing mechanism. And that is obviously a theory, not a fact. It resonated. It was interesting for me. And so honoring that some of our habits or patterns are coming from residual trauma or dysfunction that we're still working towards 
I think micro steps are really important. Sleep has been so challenging for me because I've been aware of this problem since I was in my teens. And I have read so much about sleep hygiene and and healthy habits in terms of bedtime and night routines. And I only recently began to let myself go to sleep without reading myself to sleep. That was really challenging. So one challenge that I've had is that I would say to myself, I know all this stuff. I've been educated. In fact, I teach this stuff in my sessions. And I think every therapist needs a good therapist. And I remember one time my therapist helping me understand that because I was human, I was still going to have difficulties, even though I might logically or intellectually understand something that didn't mean my emotional brain was staying up to speed on it and to stay out of judgment. And maybe one way of looking at it is to minimize harm. So if I want to stay up and finish a book and I know I'll finish at 5 a.m., instead of saying to myself, Lena, you need to go to sleep because you're not going to be able to function tomorrow. Instead, I can say to myself, you love this book. This is such a fun book for you to read. Give yourself 10 more minutes and then turn off your light. If I don't follow the instructions I've given myself, just know that I didn't have the inner resources to use my wise mind and to make the better choice. And I think as I'm listening, I'm cognizant that you don't have children. And for those of us who have children, a lot of times, whether that it's right or wrong, good or bad, the needs of those children and those depending on us motivate us to go to bed or to try to be healthier in certain areas because we know we have to parent them and we cannot parent without sleep. Yes, but I've also seen the opposite happen where an obligation creates even more resistance. And maybe that's another way in which the word and can become applicable. We can be cognizant of what is wisest for us or best for us health-wise and the reasons why. And sometimes because the brain is so interesting, the obligation creates its own type of resistance. And so you have a part of yourself that will say, I know I owe it to my family or my children or my work to be my best self. And as soon as you say that, the emotional brain, your limbic brain starts wanting to wave the middle finger because there is an inherent resistance to lecturing ourselves and demanding things of ourselves. Do you think that's a personality trait? Because I don't have that same reaction of rebelliousness to my own thoughts, but I am aware that you've talked a lot about having that. There is a need for fierce independent from your commands or whatever. I've noticed that with you. I definitely have had that in my life. I think I'm at a point in my healing journey where I want so desperately to be acting out of my highest self. And I know if I don't sleep or if I don't do these these certain things that are going to help resource me, I literally cannot function out of my highest self during the day. And so it's a gift to me to be able to have relationships where I'm acting from my wisest mind. And I can't do that if I don't put myself to bed. It's so interesting because you mentioned personality. And I don't know that it's personality as such as it is the way my brain developed to keep me in check or in line. That's a really good distinction. So it's not necessarily personality. It's more of a protective feature, which we have been learning is wonderful. We want to thank those protective features. Right. Because they helped us to survive. And adapt. I mean, look at you. I mean, you have a wonderful life, a beautiful life. 
And if your brain didn't provide this fierce independence, you wouldn't have that beautiful life. So it's a gift. And I think, you know, one of the things I've been reading a lot about is appreciating the survival mechanisms that allowed us to get through childhood trauma and knowing that, yeah, they're not all optimal. (laughs) I mean, I really wish I didn't have some of the addictions that I have had to battle with. And yet that is what it took for me to survive and to get through that time period in my life. And now I can resource in other ways, but I still have plenty of ways that I adapt that are not out of my highest self, if that makes sense. That we can be grateful for how our brains adapted and got wired during difficult events while also recognizing that it's not our fault that that wiring occurred. And while also recognizing that we may need to tweak some of those so that they serve us in our current needs and our in our current iterations as we are now. You know, I secretly can't wait till I'm an empty nester and I can stay up all night again. <laughs> so it's not that those impulses ever die. It's just I realize right now that's not serving me. That's not loving to me. I really value showing up as an emotionally attuned parent. And I already struggle with it because I I don't have a model that I learned from. And so I'm reading about it and I'm looking at other people. I admire their dynamics and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And so if I set myself up with lack of sleep and lack of gratitude and all these things, I don't have enough to show up as this person. I don't have a model for it, that I'm just like winging it, trying to be a better person mom and a better spouse than I actually had training for. That's a very valuable point. I think inner resources can be piggybacked into so much of what we're talking about here. And I'm really looking forward to a future podcast where we talk about how we can build our inner resources. And that's going to include learning how to take care of what's ours to take care of and leave the rest alone. So, so many of us spend so much energy and thought and emotion on things that we cannot control, that are not our job to control, and that deplete our energy to no effect, to no good effect. Okay, so talking about inner resources, and we think about the universe, or the creator, it makes me what really instantly comes to mind is the idea that there are times in my life where I feel so depleted, And when I lean in to the belief that everything is happening for my good, I'm still tired and I'm still raw, but it somehow cushions me into being able to hang on even for a few more minutes or a day, right? And so I know we've been talking about inner resourcing in terms of our own energy levels and our own ability to heal and also our awareness. One of the tools that I have used that I think may be beneficial to some of our listeners is at the beginning of my healing journey. Well, it's probably about the middle after I'd been doing it for a few years. I really wanted to improve my inner self, my inner life, my negative voice, my shame. And I remember, you know, in the 12 steps, we take a personal moral inventory and then we go through and we make amends and we try and right the wrongs that we've done in our lives. Because as addicts, we tend to really 
really hurt people we love. So I had done that a couple times, but I came to a point where I felt like, I think I've said sorry for all the big things I've done to hurt people. I think I've actually done all the big work, but I'm not sure because there's so much I don't remember. And so I actually started to ask God, the universe, to show me where my gaps were in self-awareness. And this is not something I would necessarily recommend on day one of a healing journey. But for me, it was so instructive because instantly, and I mean instantly, something came to mind that I needed to repair. It was such a gift because eventually that is going to seep out. And the ability to recall it to my mind allowed me the choice then to grapple with it and to make amends, which I did. It was scary though, because it had been buried very deeply in my psyche and I had wanted to forget about it. So I think one of the things I want to express is that we can use the divine to recall things that we may not even have direct access to. The other part that I'm aware of is that there are times when we only have a finite number of spoons. And how do we choose where to use each spoon? And so do you have a trick that you use in your relationship with spirituality when you're trying to prioritize what to do when you only have three spoons left? For me, I have to be really careful that I get into my wise mind before I try to get anything in order. Otherwise, I just spin and I walk literally walk in circles. And when I am able to get myself into a place of relative calm and get grounded into the present, then I am able to list all the things that I need to do. And I learned this trick years ago from a manager. And from there, I label everything ABC. And then from there, I label the A, the A's A1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And that has been very helpful for me because when I am stressed and I have a lot going on, doing this brain dump is one of the only ways to get it into concrete measurement for me. And if I don't have it in concrete terms or black and white, then it's harder for me to order that. And when you're choosing your priorities, how do you choose that? Do you lean into your spiritual sense of what you're being guided to do first? I probably would really benefit from focusing more on that. I was thinking about your idea around inner resources and how the divine or the, our highest self can instruct us on where we need to make repairs. We have so often energy that gets put towards things that we're ignoring or stuffing or not remembering. And if you want a guaranteed drain on your inner resources, that's a really good one. So it struck me as you were talking that part Part of the work you're doing when you ask for that to be revealed to you is you're actually freeing up a lot of inner resources through your connection with higher self, the divine, that sort of thing. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, I know that my everyday prioritizing isn't always, okay, universe, show me what I need to do first. But that is my always my goal. And when I do that, everything just works out so much better because I know I'm being obedient and, and, you know, maybe that's too much of a patriarchal term, but I'm being compliant to the, the will of the universe and to my own will, because I want to serve. I want to serve my highest self. I want to serve creation. I want to add. And so if I'm following the guidance of the divine, I feel like I'm aligned. 
And then if I don't get my house as clean as I thought it should be, I realize that that really, that can be a service to myself and my children and my husband who also all help clean, but that might not be what needed to be prioritized that day. And that's an excellent thing to keep in mind that as we lean in towards the all-knowing universe, we can get more guidance more frequently. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the conversation. Every week we give away fun swag. And if you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple podcast or go on your Instagram stories and talk about the episode and tag us at Mending Trauma or at Amy Hoyt PhD. It really means so much to us that you take the time to listen and engage with us. And we love you all and know that together we can build a beautiful world. There's so many good episodes coming up, so definitely subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and go ahead and leave us a review because it is free and it only takes a minute, and it would really mean so much to us. Finally, if you're inspired by this episode and you think of someone who would love it or learn from it, feel free to send them the link or post about it on Instagram and tag us, and we'll repost a few. Again, that's at Mending Trauma or at Amy Hoyt PhD. We love you. We'll be back in a few days. Keep healing.